Hello, and welcome to the Council Culture Podcast, a podcast where we look through the lens of counselling in today's culture to help and equip you to live life to the full wherever you are. I believe that everyone should have access to and benefit from the core skills of counselling that help you do life well, leading ourselves in relationships, mental and emotional health, work and navigating life in these really fast-changing times. My name is Nicholas Marks and it is my pleasure to host Council Culture. Today I'll be talking to Kate Seselja. She's a wife and a mum of six kids. She's a teacher and advocate and her story is incredible. Our theme for this series is transition and Kate has certainly been through a major transition in her life from 14 years of addiction and into recovery and now thriving in a life that is set on helping others trapped in the same cycle of addiction. This is a two-part discussion. So this episode is part one and next time will be the second half of her story. So you won't want to miss that. So make sure you subscribe so it pops up in your feed. And just a note, if you missed last week's episode, go back and have a listen. I spoke to social researcher and author Claire Madden. We talked about the differences between the generations and how we're each transitioning at the moment. It's really full of useful insights. Back to this week, here's my conversation with Kate Seselja about after the storm, resilience and coping mechanisms, and how we can reframe our understanding of addiction and people who find themselves in a place where they thought they were in control, but it ends up that it's controlling them. Hello, Kate, and welcome to Council Culture. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you here. I'm likewise really looking forward to this. And um, we're going to cover some ground today. Um, Before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm a mum of six and I've been married for nearly 22 years. Uh, I've, in the last six years, started the Hope Project and been working as a recovery coach, helping people um, to just kind of reorient their life um, after being in the grip of some sort of struggle, doesn't matter what it is, and um, just really coming from it from a place of lived experience and just helping people connect with their humanness so that they can, you know, step out of those pathways of shame and um, back into a wholeness. Yeah. So you've been doing that part of your that for the last six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to unpack that a little <laughs> bit more with you because <laughs> yep. you do have such a contagious passion and a heart for getting a message out, your message out, mm-hmm. and it comes from, as you said, lived experience. You've you've been there. You've been in some some dark places and come out of that, and and you've come out of it not just. Um, for yourself, but you've come out of it to help others. Absolutely. And so I want to get to some of that today. Um, people who might be stuck or trapped, um, being trapped in something and want to, they want hope and they want to be able to live freely. And they, But, you know, they're either aware that they're not and can't or, or not even aware of it and just think, well, this is how life is. Yes. Uh, and I, th- I feel there's a lot of people out there who have, uh, and we've all, I, I don't want to say it like there's people out there because we, mm. to some degree, 
It's all of us, isn't it? Absolutely. You, yeah. me, yes. the person you walk past on the street, someone yeah. else in your family, a work colleague, you know, sitting down the hall or in the next cubicle or wherever. Mm. I think that the thing that we need to be looking for or be more mindful of is overwhelm. Mm. And when overwhelm creeps in, then we start um, trying to cope with our life rather than actually recognise that we're in an unsustainable environment. It's normal, (laughs) I hate that word, (laughs) uh, for us to choose ways of coping that we've either been modelled or is modelled by society, Mm. um, you know, is deemed socially acceptable. Um, But what we are now understanding is that when we see people in the grip of struggle, our culture is very good at, at judging that behaviour rather than actually see the pain that the person's in. Yeah. Um, and so I guess coming from lived experience, as you said, um, when I was 18 I went to a club for the first time with my boyfriend and um, he was playing poker machines and I thought – I want to spend time with him, so I think I'll just sit alongside him. And very quickly um, I was just really swept up by um, how addictive poker machines are. Uh, I'd never understood them as being any kind of threat or a dangerous product. Uh, I Mm. thought that, you know, they were just part of the the social landscape and when – I was putting my whole wage through in an hour um, on payday. I just couldn't understand what was happening. I felt very overwhelmed. I felt very ashamed. I felt very confused. And I was at that point too scared to kind of ask for help. And Mm. that led to, you know, me really attaching shame to what I was experiencing rather than see it as, you know, uh, an issue that not only myself was facing but so many Australians um, in our country that over 400 people a year take their life because of gambling. Really? Yeah. And I did not know that. No. I I didn't know it either at that Mm. time. I felt like I was the only one that was struggling with it. And so I continued to try and, you know, hold up a facade that I'm okay for a long time, even into my marriage, and I got to 2012. Um, I was 32, pregnant with our sixth child, and I wanted to take my life. I just felt like I couldn't keep existing like that anymore. And I'm so grateful that, um, you know, Zoe stopped me from taking making that decision and I'm here because I connected to my own humanness Mm. and was able to recognise that the pain and that discomfort that I experienced, um, we need to take note of it as a society. Like our pain has merit and what we don't do when we just individualise issues like that is see the bigger social context and understand that we're supposed to help others Mm. who are experiencing that same thing Yes, and help 
you know, correct our social environment. So you were 18, very young, mm-hmm. uh, and did you start to come out of that? Did you say you were 32, so 14 years later? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a journey. It was a very long journey um, and it wasn't every day but it was always coating me. Yeah. You know, it, it, it didn't really go away in those 14 it, years. No, it, it just felt like I had just made this um, profound mistake in my life and I thought that I had disqualified myself from being worthy and whole and able to have joy and um, success and all of those things. I just kept thinking... You know, if somebody paid me a compliment, I'd say to myself, yeah, but if you really knew me, you if wouldn't you, say that. Yep. You knew what I was really like. Yeah. And if you're, if that's the story you're telling yourself over a period from that, you know, quite young, for 18, yeah. for 14 years, that's the story that you're hearing about yourself from yourself, yeah. that would have been really sinking in. Just constant. Identity level. Yeah. Verbal abuse of myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and just robbing myself of, of moments of joy because I, I just felt like I just wasn't fully connected yeah. to, to myself and so I wasn't fully connected in my life. Um, there'd been a fracture and that healing came when I was able to just breathe again and no longer feel alone in my struggle, um, I managed to see an incredible um, counsellor and she just said to me, you know, you need to tell me what you like about you. Mm. And I, I just burst what? into tears. <laughs> I was like, what? Um, One question. Yes. And, and up until that point, you know, I'd tried several times to get help and it was always about, you know, well, are you gambling or are you not gambling? And there was something deeper happening and I think that that's definitely been the focus of my work is mm. to help people connect to themselves, to the truth of who they are and not what has been, you know, demonstrated by their behaviour. Um, because if we judge, well, judge, a, if we judge at all, mm. which as humans we can tend to do, mm. it's not our role to judge. But it's it's easy to go there and can be quick to go there kind of on ourselves and on others. Yeah. Were you were you judging yourself? Definitely. Yeah. I I, I just thought I was such an idiot. I couldn't believe how much money I'd lost. Mm. Um, I was always trying to like get back. You know, like that that phrase. I was trying to get back to. It took me a little while to realise I was trying to get back to being eighteen and never ever walking in a club. Yeah. If I could go back. If I could just go back. Mm. And a do-over. Yeah. And that, you know, I realised, you know, I think I was about uh, a year into my recovery, I thought, I've spent 14 years trying to go backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I thought, oh, it makes sense. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're only looking at your life through the lens of regret, then you're not. You, you don't have the clear vision to be able to see where you want to go. Mm. Um, and that was just a huge mental shift that um, made such 
a difference in me waking up each morning with intention and deciding how I wanted to just live that day. What did, I'm going to use a term, what did rock bottom look like for you? Did you did you know you were there when you were there? Um, or like uh, did you say, I, I, I just I need to get to rock bottom and then I'll come back or you just were there and you then realised I'm, I'm there? I think that is one of the myths about addiction that you have to reach rock bottom. Yeah. Um, I think often it turns out that way because um, there isn't enough language or support or compassion around people where they're at. Um, I definitely felt that deepest level of despair that evening that I almost took my life Um, and my life definitely did change after that evening. But I think if... I'd have been able to, you know, really exhale like I did um, with that counsellor like earlier, it Mm. might have um, changed. And, I mean, I've had just one conversation with some people that I've helped over the last, you know, six years and just from one conversation that helps build context and understanding around people's lives – their lives have taken a completely different trajectory. It, it can be as as seemingly little as a question, can't mm. it? Or one conversation that can be mm. a game changer. Yeah. I think when people don't understand that if their self-esteem has been destroyed, if they don't have a, a level of self-awareness that's accurate, if they're only condemning themselves day in, day out, mm. um, and they're not actively intentionally practising self-care, then we're vulnerable by default. Um, Whether that manifests in a way of workaholism, alcohol, um, drugs, gambling, shopping, internet, social media, um, food, you know, violence. There's a lot of ways that it manifests in human beings, Um, but it's all part of that same pain, which is... I'm just in existence mode. I'm not intentionally living my life, but I don't know how to actually get there either. Um, And that's something we really miss the mark on is helping people understand how to be a human being. We've set people up for failure in trying to make them think they have to be perfect. Yep. We can never expect to not have to face adversity in our life, you know, you will lose a job, you will lose a, a partner, you will lose a pet, you will lose a loved one. Um, that is going to happen. Suffering. There is suffering in our world. Yeah. Um, so to expect a life of sunshine and rainbows isn't helpful, you know. Um, one of those things that you hear all the time, I just want to be happy. Well, that's okay, but you have to be okay to – Grieve. You have to be okay to mourn. You have to be okay to be, um, you know, have healthy anger where you fight for something or someone or, um, you know, all of the the whole gamut of feelings are there for a reason. There's not just happiness. That's not the be all and end all. Yeah. And if that's your goal, um, perhaps that's 
it's, it's setting expectations or, or, or taking on expectations from wherever mm. um, that this is how life should be. Yes. And therefore I have to think like that and expect that and work towards that. Yes. Which is exhausting mm-hmm. and we perhaps have all tried that to some extent mm-hmm. and, and fraught with um, maybe the dangers of, of taking on coping mechanisms that – because it can't work and therefore we'll grab some coping mechanisms on the way to help us cope. Yes, absolutely. And, and for you, at an early age, I think by by default or just by virtue of your boyfriend at the time, mm. you fell in, if you like, literally you were seated there mm. into gambling. Mm-hmm. I think Garbo Mate's work around understanding the relationship between addiction and trauma is so powerful um, and it's really helped open up that landscape of understanding human pain. Yeah. But gambling is a unique beast where it actually induces trauma because it's addiction by design. And when you lose control of yourself, your mind, your finances at such a fast, rapid, overwhelming pace, then you're kind of, you know, caught off guard and trying to either relive a high or regain losses, that is traumatic Mm. for the human being to not – we're meaning-making beings. So it's so overwhelming for our human senses to try and make sense of a machine that is intentionally designed to addict. Um, So – you know, I didn't have any of that vernacular when I was eighteen. That, that language wasn't wouldn't have been there. It wasn't there. And they're shiny and noisy and yeah. and kind of they can be, you know, dressed up as kind of a bit of innocent fun. Yes, like a game. Absolutely, that's what the industry loves to promote. That they're just entertainment. Yep. They're just harm harmless fun. Yeah. And that's not the truth. They are designed to relieve you of your money in the quickest amount. Of, you know, time, um, every three seconds, it, it you know, you can press the button every three seconds. So if you're paying a $10 machine, um, then you're, you know, every three seconds, that's 20 spins in a minute, that's $200 a minute. Right. $200 a minute. This is sort of the throughput, how much can go through. That's how much you can. Design for. Yeah. So how can, your, how can your brain understand losing that much money that quickly? Yeah. Um, so in an hour you can lose $12,000. Wow. Wow. And we've talked before on the, on the, on the podcast about that, that golden triangle of, of health and wellbeing around mental and emotional health, mm-hmm. uh, our relationships, mm-hmm. and our financial health. And so, again, to just to re-emphasize that, what you're saying in, in terms of financial health, if it's going out the door at that rate, yeah. um, and they're all related, so yeah. that's not going to be good for one's mental and emotional health or relationships. Was that how did that play out in reverse for you? If, if you're talking about financial health, I imagine that had quite a financial impact, and then relationship-wise and your mental and emotional health. Definitely, it. Um made me feel very disconnected um, when I was a teen at that stage. Um, a lot of my friends were going on overseas trips. I just never had any money to do that. Um, so that felt very isolating. Mm. 
um, in not understanding that it was an addiction, um, yeah. you know, it just prolonged me actually accessing help. And the first time I actually rang Lifeline was in 2003 after we were married and um, I just felt like I couldn't keep doing it all by myself and at that time they said, just don't wear shoes. If you don't wear shoes, you won't be able to get into a venue so you won't be able to gamble. And I was like, (laughs) right. Um, And I said, I just feel like I need – a rehab or something like if Some I was more help. yeah if yeah. I was addicted to drugs there would be help if I was drinking too much people would notice but I can't just keep going like this and the woman said there is rehabs but they're just for men really back then yeah and I was like oh my gosh now I'm the only woman who's struggling with gambling. That Excellent, you know. So uh, another thought. Another, yeah, yeah. of uh, there is no help, yeah. you know, that would, that just um, – so, you know, on that subject of, of hope, mm. uh, you know, I felt like every time I put my hand up and, and I just wasn't met with the right level of help or connection to my own humanness, um, there was just this attitude of – well, we've got our life together. Why can't you get yours mm. in order? Yeah. And so that just removes that hope of there being any level of help or support that is is good. And yeah. And and you mentioned that Kate around you look around to others and it can we we can tend to deal with each other on behaviours and, and it can look like on the outside, particularly when you're not in a good place yourself. And I remember in my own case. Uh, looking around and going, everyone, perhaps we've all done this. Is you look around and go, they, they mm. the royal they, really seem to have it together. Mm. Uh, why don't I or I don't? Uh, and that can be very misleading and, and very false, can't it? But on the outside, um, the outside wrapper, mm. we can look like we're doing fine mm. when underneath we're, in fact, a red hot mess. Yes. Was that the case for you? Oh, definitely. Uh, I was the queen of holding up a facade um, and, you know, making sure that our family looked like everything was under control. Um, you know, I, I always had food on the table. You know, I, I, I kept everything on the surface looking fine, but I was just dying on the inside. I was so mentally overwhelmed by trying to figure out how I was going to you know, cover a bill or what was coming up or um, how we're going to refinance everything for the 50th time. And it was just so stressful. And every time we would um, refinance, you know, that relief was there for a second. And then I'd remember that like I hadn't paid off a credit card or something and that stress would just creep back in, like just you've, yeah. you've just got yeah. to win enough to try and get that sorted or whatever. You know, it was just an endless cycle of overwhelm. So in terms of stress levels, yours were constantly or very regularly peaking. Yes. And, and that must have been exhausting. Oh, so exhausted. Because um, holding up a facade is exhausting as well. as actually trying to deal with all the, if I can just win this much, I can then yeah. pay that. That's... um. Yeah. Yeah. 
there were there are actual years that I can't even remember anything. Um, and again, I, this played out over fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and times where I know I was in my kitchen or my house with my kids, but I wasn't there mentally. Mm. You know, I was just so distracted and just wrecked mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, I can tell you right now, there were no, there was no thought of self-care. There was no awareness of how destroyed my um, self-esteem was. Mm. There, there was just no level of consciousness on that front. Um, I was just a body existing. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, who who came into your life there? Who mm. said, hey, Kate, are you okay? Or, Kate, we know you're not okay. Mm. Where did that, how did that all come about? Well, the night I almost didn't come home, um, you know, my husband had called a million times and I just had no words uh, left. And uh, it was like approaching midnight and I finally just picked up the call and he just said, please just come home. And I think had he yelled at me or, you know, if I hadn't been met with compassion at that point, I think I just didn't think there was any space left for me. I had convinced myself that everyone would be better off without me. Yes. And when I came home, um, I wrote down on a piece of paper everything that I hadn't um, told him and just slid that piece of paper across the table and he just said, it's only money. I don't care. Um, let's, you know, go see a new counsellor in the morning. And I I just agreed, but I didn't have hope at that point that it would be any different to any of the other counsellors that I'd had. Um, but I went along and, as I said, she just spoke to me like I was a human being. Mm. She helped me understand all the pressures that I'd been carrying that weren't mine to carry. Um, She helped me open that doorway to get out of shame that no one had ever (laughs) um, made me aware of, Mm. you know, that I was just daily marinating in shame. Yeah, which is, again, another bag on your back just weighing you down. Yeah. Big one. And it just, Shame's insidious, isn't it? it? It is, and it distorts everything. Yep. Um, you don't see your life clearly. You don't see yourself clearly. And so, yeah, as I said, it was just one of those incredible moments of um, starting to realise that there was a, another way of being. And so hope started hope came yeah i remember um you know having this conversation with my son and and you know i just said look i don't know what to do i've just made so many mistakes and he just said mum everyone makes mistakes and that just really as i said planted that seed of i'm no different to anybody else i had just spent 14 years in total isolation thinking everyone else has their life together and I don't. And, um, you know, now I feel like, you know, I just have this gift of being able to 
really see the human being that's in front of me and try and understand or help them understand the pain that they're in and how it's manifesting, not – I don't judge. There's no um, – there's no way I could judge anybody's life because I couldn't imagine for one second what it's like to be in their shoes, just like how nobody could have ever known what I was going through. Thanks for joining us on Council Culture. That was part one of my conversation with Kate Seselja. Make sure you join me next time where we talk more about Kate's journey through recovery and the work that she's doing now to help others recover and find freedom. It's incredible, so don't miss it. If you know people who, like you, are passionate about growing and learning and transformation, why don't you share this episode with them and also hit the subscribe button and give us a review. It all helps to spread the word. We really want your input to this podcast, so visit us at councilculture.org.au where you can send in your questions or recordings on a variety of topics which we'll use to explore in future episodes. Thanks again, and remember, together we can impact our culture through good counsel. See you next time.